Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. All right, so we're in the middle of this series, Misunderstanding. And in essence, we're really looking at some of the misunderstandings that exist between faith and culture. And so we've been talking about things like, is faith in God irrational, especially in a culture that seeks rationality in a lot of things? Or the Bible coming under fire for for being pro-slavery and how that applies, especially in today's conversation. And last week, we started a, a big topic for a lot of people. Can you really believe in the Bible and science? Because if you listen to culture right now, it seems like you have to choose one or the other. And here's the problem. I I heard a pastor say that Christianity appears, not that it is, but it appears to a lot of people to be indefensible in our scientific digital world. But to a lot of people, he goes on to say that atheism isn't appealing either. So more and more people are stepping into what they consider the neutral zone of, I don't know, and don't pressure me to decide. I mean, every high school student and college freshman, they're just one click away from a podcast, a YouTube video, or a blog that, that tries to undermine faith in the Bible. And at the same time as, as adults, many of us, we've just kind of gone with the flow. We hear these questions sometimes, but many of us have surrounded ourselves with people just like us who believe all the things we do. And so we don't have to think about them much. And we end up just tuning out of the conversation altogether. And so last week, uh, we started asking some important questions as it pertains to science and faith. And I'm not going to answer all of these over again, but in case you weren't here and one of these piques your interest, you can go back and check them out on hillcountry.life. And here they are. These are the ones from last week. Is science the only way to reliably know about something? The second one, has has science proven the universe has no purpose? It's just a random machine. Third, what does the apparently indistinguishable human desire for meaning, for purpose, to matter, tell us about human existence? And haven't science and religion always been at war with each other, offering rival explanations of the way things are? See, you, you can almost feel the tension in these questions because... Maybe you've asked them uh, yourself or you've been asked one of them and you didn't have a great answer. And the more we let this go on, the more confused and polarized the choice between faith and science seems to be. And here's the rub. If you choose science, according to our culture, you're, you're raised up and praised for your, your rational mind. But often you're shunned by the church. But if you choose faith in the Bible you're looked at as kind of dumb and blind to what's really going on in the world. And if you choose both or neither, then nobody likes you. <laughs> so here's the bottom line. And I want, I want you to chew on this, whether you're here as a, a believer in Jesus or not. I, I, and I want to get this out now before anybody has a chance to check out. See, science and faith, or, or more specifically, science in the Bible are not at odds. And at times, many of us fall into this thinking, but they're not at odds. 
there's this perceived gap between them and blame blame doesn't always lie uh, on science or the scientists for creating this issue at times it's with christians who make assumptions where the bible isn't clear and sometimes that creates an unnecessary tension between faith and science and so today i i have a couple more big questions that a lot of people are dealing with. And and if you've wrestled with this or you're in the middle of wrestling with this, I really don't blame you. There is so much information out there and it's often difficult to know what to make of all of it. And the more you invest time into researching this, the more confusing it can become. Now, just as a disclaimer, I am not a scientist. And so I may get some things wrong on that front. But I am passionate that, that God is big enough to handle whatever questions we have. And I believe he is the author of all things, including science. And that he delights in the fact that we're exploring his universe and uncovering all the awesome things he put into place. So the first question I want to deal with is this. Hasn't evolution disproved Genesis? Hasn't evolution disproved Genesis? And that's an interesting question. There's an old joke. Uh, A little boy goes to his dad and asks him, Dad, where did humans come from? And his father says, well, we descended from apes. And then the little boy goes to his mom, Mom, where where did humans come from? And she says, we were created by God in his image. And the boy says, but but Dad said we descended from apes. And Mom says, well, I I was talking about my side of the family. (laughs) Now, I'm not usually one for corny jokes, but I actually thought that one was pretty good. And so did my wife, right? (laughs) Now, the question, this question alone has caused a lot of students in high school and college to either walk away or dismiss faith in God and the Bible entirely. And it becomes a bit of a a hot topic, a hot button topic for a lot of people. Hasn't evolution disproved Genesis? Now, this is really a strange question because Genesis isn't a scientific book. And as we'll see in a little bit, uh, it was never intended to argue against Darwin or evolution or any of those questions. An Old Testament professor, John Walton, wrote uh, a whole book on, about this. And he says that when studying the Bible, you have to ask how it would have been understood by the audience reading it when it was written. People get into all kinds of trouble. When they assume, I I don't have to look at the historical context. I can just read into it out of my own time and culture. And so so Walton spent a lot of time looking at this and found that there was actually a specific conversation happening in the ancient world. They They were asking, where did we come from? How did the earth get here? But it was very different than the conversation that we have now. But it's this conversation that was being addressed in Genesis. And he said that Genesis 1 and 2 weren't particularly concerned with how something got here from nothing. It was primarily about how the one true God created the universe, that there weren't all these little tribal gods. They were concerned with how order triumphed over chaos. That was a big thing in their stories uh, that they told. And so Genesis was written to address real questions that were being asked. And Those were not questions about the Big Bang or natural selection or Darwinism. It it was really written against a backdrop of polytheism or worshiping many gods. Like the the sun and the moon were worshiped as well as a lot of other things. And they believed that we humans were created by the gods as servants. And people were just kind of an afterthought. And that's that's why you see infant sacrifice as part of their worship. 
because human life didn't really mean much. And so Genesis is mainly concerned with communicating that there's, there's one God and that this God is, has created the heavens and the earth, that creation is good, but it's not God, that, that human beings are uh, unique because they were created in the image of God, that something has gone wrong and that uh, we're not what we should be, that death and decay um, kind of entered in when sin, because of sin and messed up creation. And God is our only hope to set things right because we can't do it on our own. Like that's the core of these opening verses in Genesis. It's not trying to answer every question posed by modern science. Now, I'm not saying that God didn't anticipate uh, these things and address them to a certain extent because he did. And for instance, one bit of evidence for species not evolving from one kind to, the, to another, like the idea that humans evolved from fish, uh, it occurs 10 times in Genesis 1. The text says that God created plants and animals according to their kinds. I mean, look at Genesis 121. It says, so God created uh, the great creatures of the sea and every living thing with which the water teems and that moves about in it according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. So the point is Genesis was not written to give a rebuttal to Darwin. It wasn't written as a scientific explanation of the origins of the earth. It deals with much bigger issues like don't worship the sun and the moon. Don't look to the stars for guidance. There's only one true God. So, you know, this comes up every once in a while, but could, could the whole universe have started with a big bang thousands or billions of years ago? Well, the, the text doesn't say it did, but it, it, doesn't, it also doesn't say it didn't happen that way. And God is God. He exists outside of time and space and could use any process he wanted to. Like, could the, could the days referred to in Genesis be periods of time rather than a literal 24-hour day? Well, maybe, right? but I'm not 100% certain because the Hebrew term day isn't definitive and God didn't clarify it. And why? Why, why didn't he do that? Because that's not the primary purpose of this book. And we need to be careful not to jump too far ahead of the text of the Bible. There's a quote from St. Augustine back in the, the fourth century from his book uh, called The Literal Meaning of Genesis. And he says this, this is fascinating. Often a non-Christian knows something of the earth, the heavens, the motions, and the orbits of the stars. And this knowledge he holds with certainty from, from reason and experience. It is thus offensive and disgraceful for an unbeliever to hear a Christian talk nonsense about such things, claiming that what he is saying is based on scripture. We should do all we can to avoid such embarrassment, which people see as ignorance in the Christian and laugh to scorn. I mean, can, can you believe that was, that was written back in the fourth century? Like here, here's my point. There's no contradiction between the Bible and truth, between faith and science. And again, the fault doesn't always lie with science or scientists, but with believers who make assumptions where the scriptures aren't clear. Of course, now different Christians interpret Genesis 1 and 2 differently. And I believe the best way of reading it just on biblical terms is that it's not about how or how long or the adaptation of species. Those questions just weren't around back then. Genesis is addressing questions that were around, like our identity, our place in the universe. And so we need science to continue to explore all of those kinds of questions. And I've seen a lot of bright people grow up in faith and go off and pursue education, go to college, begin to read, and then they think they have to choose between the Bible and truth. 
you don't. And we, we have to do better than that. And I think that's part of the role of the church and why we're even talking about this. This can be a place of thoughtful faith. Now, sometimes the language of evolution is used to make claims about human identity. For example, a few years ago, a study found that chimps share 99.4% of DNA with humans. And one guy actually titled his book, The Third Chimpanzee, claiming that there's just not that much difference. Now, if, if you believe that, or if you wonder if that's really true, ask yourself, would you ever have a chimpanzee babysit one of your kids? Would you date one? Would you put one on trial, right? Of course not. There's, but there's not much difference. But human worth and identity are huge questions, and they're not going to be answered by looking at the shared percentages of DNA. They're just not that kind of question. See, the Bible says that you are an unceasing spiritual being with an eternal destiny. Now, you have to decide, is that true, or are you just a third chimpanzee? And again, I understand there are really bright people who wrestle and struggle with this, but how you answer these questions will lead you down two really, really different paths. So has science disproved Genesis? I think it's the wrong question. I think science continues to uncover the complexity and the beauty of creation. And Genesis wasn't written as a scientific explanation of the origins of the earth. But this actually ties in directly with the next question I want to talk about. And that's this. Doesn't, doesn't the Big Bang show that God doesn't exist? Doesn't the Big Bang show that God doesn't exist? Now, strangely enough, as we'll see, it does the opposite. Um, so the, the Big Bang. Did you know that a hundred years ago, Scientists just assumed that the universe always existed. They didn't think there was a, a beginning to it at all. They, they thought that matter and space had, had really always been around. Now the, now the common belief is that the universe is actually around 13.8 billion years old and that it began with uh, the Big Bang, that everything came out of a point of singularity. And it's really pretty wild stuff when you read about it. For, for scientists to come to grips with this idea that there was a beginning was pretty astonishing. Uh, Francis Collins was the, the head of the Human Genome Project, and he used to be an atheist, and now he's, he's actually a follower of Jesus. And a major turning point for him was when he read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Here's what Francis Collins says. He says, The existence of the Big Bang begs the question of what came before that, and who or what was responsible it certainly demonstrates the limits of science as no other phenomenon has done. The sense of awe created by these realizations has caused more than a few agnostic scientists to sound downright theological. Now, in God and the Astronomers, the astrophysicist uh, Robert Jastrow uh, wrote this final paragraph. He said this, at, the, at this moment, it seems as though science will never be able to raise the curtain on the mystery of creation. For the scientist who has lived by his faith in the power of reason, the story ends like a bad dream. He has scaled the mountains of ignorance. He's about to conquer the highest peak. As he pulls himself over the final rock, he's greeted by a band of theologians who have been sitting there for centuries. <laughs> Isn't that great? That little phrase in the beginning, it starts to look a whole lot different than it did a century or two ago, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. 
Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And then we see in Psalm 33, nine, for when he spoke, the world began. It appeared at his command. And so the Bible tells us that out of the mouth of God, from his words came the creation of the universe, including light and matter and time and even sound. And I'm pretty sure that that made a pretty loud noise. Like you can call it a big bang. And for many scientists, this idea of a a beginning actually points them toward God instead of away. Now, there is something even more staggering than just the existence of the big bang and, and the beginning. There's this fact that the universe, it it appears in the strangest way to be designed to support life. And this is sometimes called the anthropic principle or the Goldilocks principle. And you're going to have to forgive me. I'm going to quote a bunch more people through the rest of this message. But I, I think it's fascinating to hear scientists wrestle and argue the existence of God when faced with God's creation. So the anthropic principle is talked about by a lot by cosmologists and physicists. And it's this idea that the universe seems strangely fine-tuned for life, that everything seems to be just right, like Goldilocks would say, for, uh, for us to be here. Now, there turns out to be a bunch of things that need to be exactly as they are, or life just wouldn't exist. Like the precise force of gravity, so precise that if it was altered enough that you would weigh a hundredth of a pound one way or the other, like the universe couldn't exist. It's exactly what it needed to be. Or in the 90s, this is fascinating, we discovered dark energy, which is believed to be driving the expansion of the universe. Uh, Leonard Susskind of Stanford, he, he said this, he said, the great mystery is not why there's dark energy. The great mystery is why there's so little of it. We're on the knife edge of existence. If dark energy were much bigger, we wouldn't be here. That's the mystery. And many of you have probably heard this one before, but another scientist who actually coined the phrase Big Bang, uh, he said this, that the probability of life originating on Earth is no greater than the chance that a hurricane sweeping through a scrapyard would have the luck to assemble a Boeing 747. I mean, talk about improbability. And what's interesting is that this is something everybody agrees on, whether, whatever their religious persuasion. Like even atheists like Richard Dawkins, the author of The God Delusion, agrees with that. He just says that even if the odds of life arising here are a billion to one, that that's more likely than the existence of God, is his opinion. Astronomer Sandra Faber declared that there's only two possible explanations for all of this fine-tuning of the universe. She says, that one is that there is a God and that God made it that way. The only other approach that makes any sense is to argue that there really is an infinite ensemble of universes out there and we're in one, right? That, that there are millions and billions of other kinds of universes out there that we're not able to detect. And as I random throw the dice, this one universe we live in is livable. Now, to put it mildly, the, the idea that there are multiple universes has not been proven. Uh, another Nobel-winning scientist, uh, he said this, that the best data we have from science is exactly what I would have predicted had I nothing to go on but the five books of Moses, the Psalms, and the Bible as a whole. So has science in the Big Bang proven that faith is irrational and God doesn't exist? 
Well, you, you need to think about that, and you can spend a whole lot of time researching it. Now, personally, I would say not by a long shot. I mean, even, even thinking about this, reading about it, researching uh, this stuff gives me just a sense of wonder and awe about a God who could do all of this. Right. Now, as we bring this uh, thing to a close, I, I want to say to all of you that are in the sciences, all of you who teach or research or are involved in engineering or medicine or education or biology, chemistry, physics or neuroscience, like you're doing a, an incredibly noble thing. You're, you're thinking God's thoughts after him. And so it's so important for us to continue to explore and seek and study and understand. So, so keep going. We are so glad that you're a part of Hill Country Bible Church. So keep learning, keep teaching us. And honestly, be patient with us. I think, I think many of us need a lot of grace when it comes to this stuff. And for everyone, whether you consider yourself a person of faith around this one or not, Let's be people who are submitted to truth. You've got to understand Jesus would be the first one to tell you, ruthlessly follow the truth. Ruthlessly follow the truth wherever it leads. Here's the last quote from C.S. Lewis. He said, God is no fonder of intellectual slackers than of any other slackers. If you're thinking of becoming a Christian, I warn you, you are embarking on something which is going to take the whole of you, brains and all. Brains and all. We, we want to have the whole of us, brains and all, on this journey. Let's pray. God, you are incredible. Um, God, you, uh, we believe you created this world, that out of your mouth uh, came the existence of, of uh, this universe. Um, and God, you, uh, you, you placed every star where you wanted it. But God, you also... Uh, created us and you love us and you, you desire um, a relationship with us. And so thank you for, for creating all of these things that we can enjoy, but that you enjoy them with us, that you walk through this life with us and uh, we can see you in your creation. God, there's lots of people who are, are struggling with this, wrestling with, give us wisdom and help us to ruthlessly follow the truth. And God, we believe that points to you. God, we love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.